Just prior to this passage, Mark tells us that Jesus asked his disciples who people think he is. And they respond with various answers. John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. Peter responds that Jesus is the Messiah. But it is clear to Jesus that Peter has some very mistaken ideas about what that means or looks like. So Jesus needs to teach them what life is going to hold for him as the Messiah. He must suffer, die, and rise again. And anyone who wishes to follow him must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And they are left bewildered. And Peter even rebukes Jesus and refuses to believe that this is the fate of the one who is to save God's people. Six days later, as they are still trying to wrap their heads around what Jesus has told them, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up a mountain. Again, Mark's readers would have known that a mountaintop is where Moses met God. It's a holy place. And we too often speak of encounters with God as what? Mountaintop experiences, right? So they know right away that something amazing and holy is about to happen, but they would have never guessed what it is. They are taken to a thin place, one of those places, times where the barrier between earth and heaven almost seems one, with only a thin veil separating the holy from the mundane. And they see Jesus transfigured. His outward form or appearance is changed. His clothes become an unearthly, dazzling white, just as Moses' face radiated the glory of God after his encounter with the Holy One. And if that weren't enough, Moses and Elijah appear in that dazzle, and they are talking with Jesus. It's holy, meaning holy. Clearly, clearly God is in this place. But lest there be any doubt, God shows up as a cloud and speaks to the disciples, not just to Jesus, but to those all too human, regular folks who still don't really know who Jesus is, what he's doing, or where he's taking them. So God tells them directly, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. It's interesting that this passage comes basically in the middle of Mark's gospel. The first half has introduced us to Jesus, the Messiah, and we watch as he performs exorcisms, heals the sick, teaches, and touches. He explains to those following him that he's not the Messiah they have in mind, but they continue to go with him, even traveling to a place where they meet God and get reassured that indeed Jesus is the Son of God. And then the second half of Mark's gospel is about going down from that mountain into trouble and taunting, into peril and risk, into judgment and execution, and eventually, of course, resurrection. Perhaps the mountaintop experience is to give the disciples a better understanding of who Jesus was, because they would come down that mount headed to Jerusalem, following him down that difficult road leading to the cross of crucifixion. They needed a better picture of who Christ is. 
if the whole passion experience leading up to Easter was to make sense to them. They needed to know that God's hand is in all of this. Otherwise, the journey could become unbearable and they wouldn't have the strength and courage to follow Jesus. Yes, they needed a look at what was going on behind the scenes. Perhaps this experience will provide them courage and comfort and strength as they watch their Messiah be ridiculed, tortured, and killed. Even as they watch that, that happen, Peter, James, and John can, can bring to mind this, this image of Jesus transfigured on the mountain. They can remember him standing there with Moses on one side who, who represented the law of the Hebrew people and Elijah, the representative of the prophets, on the other. Their very presence and communion with Jesus that day testified. It assured the disciples that this was the one of whom the law and the prophets spoke. They would carry that picture with them and perhaps, perhaps it would give them peace. Peter, of course, still doesn't quite get it. He wants to nail it all down, make it fit into his understanding of the world. So let's build some tents, houses, Moses, Elijah, Jesus can live up here. God apparently resides here and can speak to us from time to time, and we can all live happily ever after. Peter, so like us, we humans need divine help and understanding the mysterious holy. So Jesus helps him. In the days ahead, he won't necessarily explain what happened that day on the mountaintop. But he works hard to help Peter and the others understand more about the holy, more about the one true God, more about the kingdom ways, more about what it means to live in close relationship and the presence of our loving creator. Reverend Matt Skinner reminds us God loves, so God interacts. God is always welcoming us into God's presence. I believe God invites us, calls us, whispers to us, entices us to come into the Holy One's presence and enjoy intimacy with God. God is a real presence in our lives. But how often are we authentically present in return? Are we like Peter trying to move ahead rather than just basking in the company of our creator, redeemer, sustainer? When we are worshiping, how often is our mind flitting from this to that, thinking about anything rather than standing in the presence of God? When we are praying, how often are we going through the motions but not really experiencing the one who gives us our very breath much less words to speak. When we are serving, how often are we doing but not really experiencing the fact that God is there in our midst, beside us, within us, there in the other who is also a part of that holy triangle? Are we present? We 21st century Americans pride ourselves on being good multitaskers, right? But I wonder... How often do you feel, how do you feel sitting across from someone at a meal who is constantly checking their phone 
answering emails, even playing games. Even as they reassure you that they are listening, do we really feel heard? So often our sin of not really being present to God also extends to those whom God has put in our lives. Perhaps the greatest gift we can offer someone is being a real presence in their lives. The church and its members have a responsibility to listen to God's Son. This Lenten season, we are called to listen closely. Listen to the words of Jesus we find recorded in Holy Scripture. Listen to the messages sent from the Holy One in your dreams, your prayers, those gentle nudges to call him, to visit her, to write that note. You know, from time to time I get those nudges. It's time to pick up the phone and call somebody I haven't seen or heard from in a while. Sometimes I ignore those nudges, and far too often when I do, I'm sorry that I did. God interacts with God is present working in our lives through those nudges that God gives us. God is present. So listen to the things Jesus says. Listen to even the hard things. Love your enemies. Forgive others. Welcome the stranger. Give them your shirt as well. Take up your cross. Care for widows and orphans. Jesus wants us to be present with him, just as God is present with us. This Lent, we are called to walk faithfully and step with Jesus as he comes down the mountain and walks head on into the fate that awaits him in Jerusalem. Real presence demands a willingness to walk the whole way with Jesus through suffering and death and into resurrected life. Listen to him. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Thanks be to God. Amen.